Good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you and to be back together again. Many of us have been out and about through the summer months, so it's been good to be good to be finally back. Those of you who just traveled to Tennessee, welcome home. Heard lots of great things from what's going on in your lives and through your lives. And uh, I want to, before we jump into this new message series this morning and for the next few weeks. I want to take just a minute to uh, say thank you to Pastor Norm, who's sitting over here, and Pastor Brandon. I'm not, I don't see Brandon. Oh, there you are, right here. Um, let's thank these guys for uh, bringing messages. I had, I had more than a few people say to me last week, you know, um, we really, you know, we really don't miss you when you're gone because these guys have done such a great, so when are you leaving again? And you know, I'm just going to choose to take that as a compliment. <laughs> right? We'll just assume that's a compliment. <clears throat> I also wanted to say um, thank you to those of you who've, who've congratulated us. Uh, if you don't know, tomorrow is uh, mine and Kathy's 35th wedding anniversary. And thank you. And we've been... We've been celebrating this weekend. Our family were here and uh, celebrated. We renewed our vows yesterday, and uh, she said yes <laughs> again. Didn't, didn't hesitate hardly at all. Uh, and so we're, we're, we re-upped for another 35. And, um, yeah, we did the math. It'll make us, you know, about 90 or so. So uh, we're, we're good to go. Uh, also, our, our pastor, who was our pastor, pastor and his wife, Dave and Millie Strong, they've gone back to Ottumwa, Iowa this morning. They were here at first service, and our parents and our kids and all of our grandkids were here. Sorry you missed them, but I uh, wanted to say something about Dave and Millie Strong, who were our pastors in Kirksville, Missouri, when God began to call us into ministry. They invested in us and sowed into us. They made the drive all the way back, and he officiated our little ceremony yesterday afternoon as we renewed our wedding vows. So it's been a real special time for us this weekend. And uh, it's fun to celebrate those things, especially when it relates to family. And that's what I want to talk about today and for the next few weeks. I want to talk about uh, family and what God means when, when we say that word, what, what he means when he says the word family. Because he, he created the whole idea. So when you create something, you get to define it. Have you noticed that? When you create something, you get to say what it looks like and what it is like and what it sounds like and what it acts like. That's what happens when you create something. Everybody agree with me so far? So let's just look at the definition that God uses for family. This morning will be kind of an introductory overview of this whole idea. And in the next few weeks, we'll talk about what it looks like to raise children as the way, the way God tells us to do that and the way we should relate to one another in the family of God. So let's, let's talk about that uh, and start this morning. I'm, I'm so excited for this message. Really, God is, is wants more than almost anything else to have a family. In fact, the whole purpose of creation is for him to have a family. That's, that's really all God... Have you ever thought about that? Really, all God gets out of creation is a family. He doesn't really care all that much about this dirt clod we're living on. He just made it beautiful for us so we could have a beautiful place to live. He created an environment. That's what good fathers do. In fact, even when Jesus came and established the church, the primary purpose for the church is so that God can have a family. 
so that sons and daughters can, be sons, can become sons and daughters and then grow into maturity as spiritual fathers and mothers under the lordship and the, and the fatherhood of Father God. That's really the whole purpose. The purpose of the church isn't to build buildings or to create some sort of organizational structure or anything else like It isn't to establish a belief system that we can all agree to. That's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church and the purposes of God in the world are so that he can have a family. Now, I want to I do something this morning to help you. And I hope you're taking notes or maybe you're following along on your app and you can take notes that way or grab a piece of paper. I want to encourage you to take notes because what I want to do this morning as we begin this series, I want to help us begin to think in terms of what we often think of as orphans and slaves and then how we can begin to think of in, in, as we become sons and daughters. Because if I asked you if you were an orphan or a slave, you'd say, well, no, I'm not an orphan or a slave. But some of us think like orphans, and some of us think like slaves. It's about the way we think. That's why Paul says when he writes in Romans chapter 12 and in many other places, he says, I want you to be renewed by the renewing of your mind. I want you to be transformed by, the re by what you think and the way you think, the way you think about yourself and the way you think about family, the way you think about God, the way you think about truth. I want you to know the truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free. So I want you, I want all of us to begin to think in terms of the differences between orphans and slaves and sons and daughters. So if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, just write orphans and slaves and sons and daughters at the top of your page. Now, let me give you some characteristics. This is the way orphans and slaves think. Orphans and slaves are independent. They love independence. Independent. Gotta think and talk and write at all the same time. Don't give me a piece of gum. I'll be in trouble. And sons and daughters are interdependent. Sons, uh, orphans and slaves think if it's going to be, it's up to me. Sons and daughters realize, no, we're in this together, and we've got to stick together. We're going to be together. Orphans and slaves think this way, God as master. He's our master because we're a slave. Sons and daughters think of God as a loving father. <clears throat> Orphans and slaves are insecure. Sons and daughters have rest and peace because they're close to the heart of the Father and they have no, no worries or no reason to be insecure or afraid. So, uh, orphans and slaves have to fight for more. Sons and daughters know that they inherit everything. I'll do a couple more. I could go on and on. Are you starting to get the idea? Orphans and slaves think very differently than sons and daughters. And even though you may not think, all of us are in process on this. I'm on process, in process on this too. Orphans and slaves believe they have to, they have a difficulty, difficulty 
write what I'm saying, not what I'm writing. Difficulty receiving. And I've been struggling with that even the last few days as people have, have, have given us gifts and love and care and threw a party for us. Hard for me sometimes to learn how to receive. Anybody else? Anybody else? A couple of us in the room? Maybe more? Um, but sons and daughters know how to receive blessing. One more. <clears throat> Maybe you've heard of this. Orphans and slaves have FOMO. You know what that is, right? Anybody knows what that is? Fear, you want to sit with me? Fear of missing out. Because as orphans and slaves, you think, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And they're always comparing. We're always comparing ourselves to other people. Well, they have that, so I, I'm, going to, I'm afraid I'm going to miss out. I've got to have it too. Or I've got to make sure I go to that deal or I'll miss out. I've got to make sure I'm a part of that crowd or I'm going to miss out. I'm, I've got to have that job or I'm going to miss out. I've got to have that bank account or that car or that house or that deal. Or I'm going to miss out on what matters. That's what the orphans and slaves think. <clears throat> Sons and daughters already have everything. Why? Because they inherit everything. That's the way we think. Starting to make some sense? God wants us, you and me, to know the truth. That when he sees you and he thinks about you, he thinks about you as a son or as a daughter. Not as an orphan. And not as a slave. And as a son and a daughter, you have nothing to fear. Because you get everything and you have God with you. You have freedom to live the way God created you to live. To love and live without worry. To grow into healthy, mature fathers and mothers who can multiply in the family of God. I just talked earlier about the Dave and Millie, our pastors from early, early years, as we were being called into ministry, they were sort of a spiritual father and mother to us. And then as we moved to Florida to prepare for ministry, you've heard us talk, many of you have heard us talk about George and Margaret Kikasola, who became spiritual fathers, a father and mother to us. And I could go on and on and name the couples of the people over the years who've been spiritual fathers and mothers to us, who have invested life and truth and wisdom and wholeness and health and prayer and care and, and leadership and all kinds of amazing gifts from, the, from God in the kingdom of God that come through the family of God. That we would miss, have missed, we would have missed out on it had we not received what God had for us. You know, that's what, that's what happens. When you don't become sons and daughters, you do miss out. You miss out on the blessing God has for you. But you don't have to be afraid of missing out if you become a son or a daughter. Now, I want to look at Luke chapter 15. Many of you are familiar with this story in Scripture. If you've heard of the prodigal son or if you've heard of this story, I want to look at it this morning probably with a little different perspective than perhaps you've ever seen it before. Because I want, to, I want you to be thinking about this context and then listen to the story as we read through it. There's three stories about something lost and found. 
in Luke 15. The last of them is about a lost son. So let's pick it up there. In Luke 15, verse 11, Jesus is sharing this parable, this truth about how we can understand the way the Father sees us and wants to relate to us. Luke 15, 11, he said, A man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now then, now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So now he's feeling he's been independent, hasn't he? He's going, I'm going to be independent. I'm going to do this on my own. So he already has this, he's already moving in this direction. Now he finds himself impoverished, so now he's starting to think of himself as an orphan and a slave. I'm on my own. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now remember, this is a young Jewish boy. Not a great place feeding pigs for a young Jewish kid, is it? Verse 16, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, but no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread to eat, but I'm dying here with hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and I will say to him, this is a speech he's going to rehearse when he talks to his father, right? Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Just pause for a second. Now, what just happened in his mind? What just happened in the son's mind? He's a son, but he's thinking of himself as an orphan and a slave. I'm not worthy to be a son. I'm a slave. I'll go back and I'll be a slave. See, he knows that his father is a good slave owner. At least he won't starve to death if he goes and indentures himself to his own father, gets a job as a slave. At least he'll eat well. So I'll be an orphan and I'll be a slave the rest of my life. And that's the speech he rehearses to tell to his father when he finally meets him again. Verse 20, so he got up and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. He never saw that coming, did he? And the son said to the father, this is his speech now, Father, I'm an orphan. I'm a slave. I'm not, I'm, not gonna, I'm not your son anymore. I've sinned against you, against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. What just happened? The father is saying to the son, hey, you are not an orphan and you are not a slave. 
you are my son. And we're going to take off this orphan thing and we're going to take off all those old garments and we're going to put on a mantle of sonship and I'm going to put a ring on your finger so everybody can see it. So I'm going to take off those old clothes and I'm going to put on new and I'm going to make you my son again and I'm, not, I'm going to forget where you've been and I'm going to put sandals on your feet because from now on you're going to walk with me. You're mine. You are mine. Can you receive that? Can you believe that? Can you believe that that's what the Father wants to say to you? That he doesn't see an orphan or a slave when he looks at you. He sees a son or a daughter. He went on to say, bring the fatted calf and kill it. and Let us eat and celebrate. This son of mine was dead, but he's come to life again. He was lost, but he's been found. And they began to celebrate. Why? Because he's going to tell everybody he knows. He's going to tell his neighbors, his community, his family, everybody he can tell. He's going to celebrate that my son was lost, but now he's back. He is no orphan or slave. He's a son. I, have, I want everybody to know that. He wants everybody else to know it, but more importantly, he wants you to know it. Here's what God wants you to know. That you belong in God's family. You belong in God's family. Why don't you turn to somebody who's sitting next to you and say, you belong in God's family. Now, if that's true, then what we have to do is we have to take off, and this is number one, if you're taking notes, we have to take off the garments of orphan and slave. We have to take that off. Take off those old garments of orphan and slave. I don't know if you've ever noticed the picture hanging out in our lobby above the fireplace. Anybody ever notice that picture? The picture is called The Return of the Prodigal. It was painted by Rembrandt, I think it was 1669. And no, kids, I was not alive, but I just read it, okay? Um, and it's not the original either, by the way. Um, but it's a beautiful painting, and it clearly just powerfully depicts what's happening in this, in this parable of Jesus when he talks about the return of the prodigal. Let's see that picture. This is the son kneeling. You see his tattered garments. He's got garments of orphan and slave on him, doesn't he? not worthy to be called your son and he's kneeling like a slave at the feet of his father saying I'm not worthy I don't deserve your embrace I don't deserve to be called your son that's the mind of an orphan or a slave and his father embraces him much to the chagrin of the older brother standing nearby and says oh no you're not a slave. You're a son. You were an orphan. You were a dead orphan. Now you're an alive son. That's what the Father wants him to know. This is what Paul writes to us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which has been corrupted in accordance with the lusts, of deceit. See what happens 
in our minds when we're orphans and slaves is we are so easily deceived. Just like the son in the prodigal story, he was so easily deceived. He, he went after the lusts of the flesh. He was so full of pride and arrogance. He was so easily deceived. And that's what happens because we're independent and we're on our own and we think nobody really wants us around. So we're going to have to figure it out. If, if we have some fun, it's going to have to be up to us. But he goes on. You, you were that way, but now you've been renewed in the spirit of your mind, verse 23 and verse 24, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, Kathy and I met a few years ago, a, a man and his wife in Branson, Missouri. Uh, we were at Table Rock Lake with some friends of ours. It's been several years ago. We were there to, to meet some friends we'd gone to college with, and we were at a restaurant one morning for breakfast, and we decided we wanted to go out on the lake. And it was Saturday morning, and it was, you know, we were trying to figure out how we could rent a boat big enough for 20 people. Kind of hard to do at the last minute. And so we, I was standing at the lobby area talking to the receptionist, saying, you know of any marinas I could call or whatever? And a guy was standing in the lobby there listening to our conversation, and he approached me and said, so you're wanting to go out on a houseboat or something? I said, yeah. I said, you know anybody that has one? He said, well, I have one. I said, awesome. You want to take us out? You know, can we hire you? Can we rent your boat or whatever? And he goes, no, 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 no. I said, we're busy. I, I've got, my wife wants me to have breakfast here and we're, you know, we're not, we're not going to be able to do that. But he said, and so we, we, you know, we had a little conversation and uh, so I went on out to meet our friends. We were trying to figure out how we were going to get out on the lake or what, what our plans were going to be. We we're kind of just playing it by ear. And the guy comes running back out of the restaurant toward me. And said, hey, do you guys still want to go out on the boat? And I said, yeah, we'd love to. And he goes, how many is in your group? And I said, oh, about 20. He goes, oh, that's great. Come on and let's go. And uh, so his wife came along and two guests with them. And they led us down to the marina to the end of the boat slip where they kept their 110-foot houseboat. At that time, the second largest boat on Table Rock Lake, the only larger boat on the lake at the time, was the Branson Bell. <clears throat> And he said, uh, come on and join us. We'll just go out for the day. We're like, okay, we're in. So we go out on this amazing boat. It's got, I don't remember, it had three or four bedrooms, a living room, a kitchen, a deck, three decks. The top deck was a sun deck. The middle deck was a party deck. It had a slide for the kids to play. I mean, you think we were having fun. We're like, man, this is amazing. <laughs> and so we spent the whole day out there. We come to find out, we listen to the guy's story. He said, you know, I grew up as an orphan. I was the oldest child of four, and we lived in an orphanage, extremely poor. And he said, I made a vow that when I got old enough, I got out of this orphanage, I was going to go to college, I was going to start a business, I was going to make so much money that none of my children, none of my family, no one I ever know or care about will ever spend another day in an orphanage. You see, he had an orphan mindset, didn't he? He said, I'm going to do it alone. I don't know about God, he said. He was very insecure and fearful that something like this would happen again to someone he cared about. He had to fight for everything. He couldn't receive because we tried to pay him and it offended him that we wanted to pay him for his time. He had a huge fear of missing out. He was an orphan. You know the problem was? We also found out that 
he, one of the reasons he built this boat, he had it built in Tennessee, he had it shipped to Branson, to the Table Rock Lake in pieces, uh, had it assembled on the lake, had to build a boat slip big enough for this boat to fit in. The reason he wouldn't let any of us take it out is you have to have a captain's license to drive this thing. And after we spent the whole day out there and heard his story and got to know him, enjoyed our time, he was just giving us food and drinks and all kinds of, kids were having a blast, it was like Disneyland. So we said, well, he won't receive, he won't let us pay him, so let's, uh, when we pull back into the slip, we had all been in the college choir together so we could sing and we figured out what songs we were going to sing, we were going to sing a couple songs in four-part harmony, so we, we started singing these hymns, and as we pulled back into the slip, acoustics were perfect. And we were singing, and this guy began to cry. And he said, you couldn't have given me a better gift. But he had an orphan heart. And the tragedy of this whole story is, he built this for his children, but because he'd been so independent, and he'd been fighting all his life for more, he didn't have a relationship with his kids or his grandchildren. And they didn't care about the boat. They didn't really care about him. They didn't want to be around him. Because he had an orphan heart and a slave mentality. That's why this is so important. We may be more like him than we realize. We have to take off these orphan clothes. In fact, this, you know, this son, the prodigal son who Jesus is talking about here, remember he rehearses his speech on the way home. He's going to Tell his father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's never talked to his father like that a day in his life. He's rehearsing a speech? Are you kidding me? This is his father. Why is he rehearsing a speech? Because he thinks like an orphan now. And he thinks like a slave. He's going to have a formal speech hoping he can get a job. That's a lot like many of us. When we think like orphans and slaves, we have a difficult time praying. We think God's distant. God doesn't want to hear from me. God is, is busy doing other things. He's got a lot more important things to do than listen to me. Besides, I'm not worthy to be listened to. I'm nervous about what I might say. And we rehearse, don't we? You know what? As sons and daughters, prayer is our native tongue. Isn't it? Prayer's not some formal thing. It's a conversation. <laughs> You're talking to your father. You know, remember what Jesus says when the disciples say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. How does Jesus start teaching them how to pray? What does he say? He says, well, when you pray, say this. What did he say? Our father. He didn't say, well, treat him like some distant God because he probably can't hear you. He's getting hard of hearing. And he didn't want to listen to you anyway. He's busy. He says, our Father, my Father, you are holy and you are loving and you are with me and you're going to provide for me and you're going to protect me and you're going to love me and care for me and you're going to keep me from evil and I just know that about you, God. <laughs> Of course he knows that. He's a son. Romans 8. 
I'm sorry. Let me back up a little bit and give you point number two. Point number two, put on sonship and step into the true identity as son or daughter. Notice when the son comes home, the prodigal son comes home, his father embraced him and he kissed him. Let's read it. Luke 15, verse 20 says, So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I love that. You know, Jesus was constantly going around touching people. Have you ever noticed that in the Old Testament you don't hear much about people touching one another? But in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and starts touching people, and he heals them, and he restores their sight, and he raises them up, and he raises the dead, and he's always touching people. Why? Because he's imparting love and grace and power through touch. I think the enemy's stolen touch from us. We're all worried about, you know, obviously it has to be appropriate, but come on. These are made for hugging New Testament tells us when we greet one another, we should do that with a holy kiss. We'll work up to that. <laughs> we should put holy hands on heads and shoulders and pray for one another. When appropriate, we should hug one another. We're a family, aren't we? We're made to love one another and to show affection to one another. We're to receive the spirit of, fun, of, of sonship. We need to put it on. In Romans chapter 8, 14, Paul says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you are not, have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies within our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. He says in Galatians to the church in Galatians, Galatians 3.26, he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For you were all baptized into Christ, having clothed yourselves with Christ. So in other words, you've taken off your orphan slave clothes and you've clothed yourselves with Christ. There is an active participation we get to do in this whole thing. There, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free man. There's neither male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And when you belong to Christ and you're Abraham's descendants, heirs according to his promise. You are a son of God. You're a son or a daughter of Abraham and you inherit everything God has. Everybody agree with this so far? Isn't that awesome news? That we get to receive everything God has? Put on sonship. Put it on. Take off orphan slave. Put on sonship. I, I love hanging around the sons and daughters of God who are growing and maturing into fathers and mothers in the kingdom of God, in the family of God. Kath and I love spending time with our friends, our, our brothers and sisters, uh, Pastor Stan and Nancy Vandenberg, Pastor of Eastminster Presbyterian, and, and Pastor Sam uh, and Amy McVeigh. We get together every other month with them and have an absolute 
blast with them. We laugh, we cry, we pray, we celebrate, we just have a blast with them. In fact, we get together every other month. We'll meet at 5 o'clock in the evening, and about 10 or 10.30, we kind of look at one another going, you know, we probably should go home. We're having so much fun. That's what happens. You know, we together, we sort of launched the citywide prayer movement, but that's just part of the fun. It's just entertainment for us because what really matters is the relationship we have with the Father and because of that, that we get to have with one another and so we just want to have a bigger party. That's what the citywide prayer meetings are. We're going to have another one at Cessna Stadium this month, Thursday, August 17th. Come and join us. It's a citywide gathering where we spend time in the presence of the Father and we lift up praise and adoration to Him. We're going to pray for uh, WSU. We're going to pray for college students. We're going to pray for the city. We're going to pray for everything God wants to do and wants to accomplish in us, through us, in spite of us. We're going to just praise His name, right? Anybody else excited about that? Just me? Take off orphan slave clothes, put on sonship, true identity as sons and daughters, and thirdly, receive your full inheritance. Receive your full inheritance as a son or a daughter. You see, as a son or a daughter, you inherit everything. Isn't that great news? What do you have to worry about? Nothing. You inherit everything. This prodigal son, though, did walk home. In other words, you do have to actively receive it. Father is not going to force anything on you. He's not going to force his blessing. He's not going to force his hug. He's not going to force his, his love. He's not going to force his grace. He's not going to force it on you. You have to, just like the son did, he had to, he had to get up out of the pig pen and walk to his father. In just a few minutes, I'm going to encourage many of you to get up from wherever you're seated and tell the people next to you, I need to go and receive sonship. I want you to actively participate in that. I want you to actively get up and come and receive what the Father has for you. Grace and blessing and provision and love and truth and wisdom and all that he has for you as your Father. I want you to receive it. So there's a a part that we do play in this, we have to receive. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. See, God's done everything he's done, so you would be a son or a daughter. Because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore, you're no longer a slave. You're a son or a daughter. And an heir through God. When we receive our inheritance, we get all of Jesus. We get all of the Father. And we get all of the Holy Spirit. Now, listen carefully. Don't miss this. Some people get hung up on the material stuff. When this prodigal son came home, all of his material possessions were gone, weren't they? Did he care about that anymore? No. He didn't care about that at all. 
All he needed was a place to, you know, roof over his head, a little food. That's all he cared about. But when he came home, you know what he got? It wasn't about the material possessions. What he got was the heart of the Father. He inherited God. He inherited the heart of the Father. When we receive our inheritance, we receive all of God, all of Jesus, all of the Holy Spirit. What else do we need? We get it all. We get so hung up on stuff. It ain't about the stuff. It's about him. And that's what the son got. He got it all. He got all of the father's heart. And the father received him. He touched him. He embraced him. He kissed him. He clothed him in sonship. Adopted and celebrated him. He was dead, now he's alive in every way. That's why John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus also told us that his family, we ought to love one another. In fact, he didn't just make a suggestion. He said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. This is the night before he died. He said, I'm going to give you a new commandment that your family now, you're all totally connected in my blood, you're totally connected as family, so I'm going to command that you love one another. He said in John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also have love for one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, everybody look up here. I want, I want this to become really, really personal for us right now. You know, this isn't one of those messages where you're sitting there hopefully saying, you know, man, I wish my friend was here. This is a message where God wants to speak to you personally. He wants you to put off, take off slavery and orphan and put on sonship. So let me ask you, what's the Holy Spirit been saying to you personally this morning as we've had this time together? What's he saying now? What orphan slave garments do you need to take off? So that you can put on sonship. Maybe it's something like, if you're here, maybe you're sitting there thinking, I'll never be good enough. I'll always be a nobody. I'll never be able to trust again. I just can't forgive them. I'm never going to let down my guard. If it's going to be, it's up to me. You know, independence and relying on myself has gotten me this far. I'm going to stick with it. It's time to do what the prodigal son did. It's time to recognize that orphan and slavery is not the way to live. And it's not what you were designed or created for. Remember, we've already said, when God created the earth, what he did, he created a family. First three verses, first three chapters in the Bible, God creates a garden and a family. Last three chapters in the Bible, God has his garden and a family. Chapter three in Genesis, 
Satan comes to try to destroy the family. Last three chapters in the Bible, God destroys Satan. Why? So he can have a family without any problems. Isn't that beautiful? So what about you? Would you bow your heads with me? I want to just pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to you now and say, you know, some of this is what I'm saying to you. You've had some slavery stuff. You've had some orphan mindset. And it's time to take that off so that God can give you the mantle of sonship, a ring on your finger, and a future with new shoes. So God, I pray you will draw every person to yourself. And if you're here this morning and you've not yet started following Jesus, if you, if you just need to step into relationship with him, would you just raise your hand right now so I can see you and be praying for you? If, you're, if that's you, raise your hand. Amen. Praise God for you. Anybody else? Anybody else need to begin a relationship with God? Amen. Thank you, Lord.